Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Hello from the Steffies. Hey, Silverdale family. Welcome to the Talvin home. Welcome to our house. Hi. Hi, Silverdale. Silverdale. Let's home. Hi. Hi. Just like you, we've been spending a lot of time here at home with each other. Trying not to drive each other crazy. You know, that's the way it is no matter what's going on. You know, that's true no matter <laughs> what's going home. on. Welcome to home. The love we have for our family and each other should last through this season and beyond. It's true. That's the way God designed it. It's just the way God designed it. I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us today online. I'm Tony Walliser. I'm one of the pastors at Silverdale Baptist. And today I get the privilege of sharing with you God's word. So go ahead and take out your Bibles and you can turn in the New Testament to Ephesians chapter four. Also, I encourage you to take these Bible study outlines that we provide for you so you can follow along as well. We are in a series called Rain or Shine, Love for Every Season. And today I'm going to talk to you about how to have love during a season of conflict. Now, I'm going to apply most of today's message in conflict and marriage, but the principles that I'm going to talk about today apply to conflict in any relationship. Now, if you have conflict in a relationship, it shouldn't surprise you. In fact, conflict is to be expected. Conflict is normal. Conflict is predictable. But let me give you some good news. Conflict is not fatal. If you want to save a relationship that is spiraling downward, then you will need some tools. And primarily, you'll need the heart that is willing to do the right thing during your conflict. Now, let's read God's word together, found in the letter written to the Ephesians, chapter 4. I mean, you could search throughout hundreds of relationship books or go to every personnel management seminar, and you'll not find a more concise yet practical explanation of how to overcome conflict in a relationship. The church that Paul's writing to was having some conflict unity problems. And so let's look at what he writes in verse 25. Look at what God's word says. Paul writes, Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. Now look at verse 31. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Now, in those simple verses, we find some incredible and yet profound truths. In fact, you have the very essence of why conflicts spiral downward, and then also you find out how to rescue and heal relationships. Now, before we talk about how you can heal your relationships from conflict, you need to understand how relationships get broken in the first place. So the first thing I want you to see in your outline is this. Jot this on your outline. The anatomy of a conflict. I mean, how does a conflict get started in the first place? Because some of you think, 
All you need to do is avoid conflict. Well, <laughs> there's a simple solution to avoiding conflict. Never have a relationship with anyone. Because all relationships have some level of conflict. So unless you're prepared to live at the North Pole where you're surrounded by polar bears, you're going to have relationships and all relationships are going to have some level of conflict. Now, conflict works like gravity. Gravity always pulls us down. And the further we fall, the harder the stop is at the end. Well, this is the same way with conflict with us. Because of my flesh, because of my selfishness, because of my sin, I will unavoidably be pulled downward. So let me show you the steps downward in a conflict. You can jot these down on your outline. A conflict first starts when I'm offended. I'm offended. You did something that offended me. You kept doing something that bugs me. It's, it's like a paper cut. I mean, don't you hate paper cuts? I mean, they're so irritating. Well, that's how most conflicts get started. It's something you said or the way that you said it or I feel disrespected or I feel unloved or I feel offended by your attitude. That tone of voice, right? You've heard that before. <laughs> Let me read for you a little story I came across. It had been a long but good day and the couple settles into bed to go to sleep. Each reach for their respective light switches. Life is good in their world. When suddenly she says, uh, let's not forget to clean the garage next weekend. Okay, he says, already half asleep. Glad to help. There's a pause. What does that mean? She tenses. She rolls over to face him and asks, what do you mean, glad to help? His mind races. What could that possibly be wrong with the word help? Glad to assist. Glad to lend a hand. Where's my thesaurus when I need it? He says, what I mean is that I'm glad to help you clean the garage. She sits up in bed and says, so you think it's my job to clean the garage and you're just helping me out. Now he's offended. So he sits up in bed ready to reply. Now before he speaks, he feels this primal instinct that used to warn his ancestors not to poke the lion with a stick. But his testosterone kicks in and he says, you're just as nitpicky as your mom. She turns away. Suddenly, the room feels much colder than it did just a few moments ago. You see, that's how conflict starts. There's some perceived offense, and then it moves into some greater hurt. Most offenses begin with differing assumptions. Oh, I thought you meant this, or I thought you said that. I mean, we have all these assumptions about how the other person is going to respond. And when our assumptions get crossed up, we get offended. Now, we are not talking about some moral failure here. I mean, these are quirks or habits that all individuals have. And because they think differently than us or act differently than us, we get offended. Now, the Bible has a word for how to live with a person who is not perfect and who irritates you by their actions. It's called forbearance. Notice how the Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, with all humility and gentleness, and with patience, bearing with one another in love. Ah, there it is. I've got to be patient. I've got to be forbearing. I mean, somebody once put it like this. They said, marriage is your last best hope to become an adult. <laughs> and you see, this is where most conflict starts. And the simplest solution is to grow up and stop being offended by the little paper cuts in life. You have a choice. 
You will either tear up the real person you're married to, trying to get the fantasy person, or you will tear up the fantasy person and love the real person you're married to. So conflict starts with an offense, but then the next level is hurts. Jot that on your outline. You get hurt, I am hurt, and this is much more serious. This moves from perception to reality. I am hurt because of something you said or because of a promise that you've broken. I mean, that's why Paul said in verse 24, he says, putting away lying, speak the truth in love, each one to his neighbor, because we're members of one another. You said something that hurt me. I mean, I've been disrespected. Or or you embarrassed me by that joke that you told. Or I feel deceived by by what you said. Or or, I'm I'm deeply disappointed. You ignored me for so long. or, Or you said something or you did something that hurt me. Now the natural pull of gravity in our flesh is downward. So we quickly move from being hurt by somebody to being angry. In fact, jot that down. I am angry. I am angry. Now, anger is a God-given emotion. Anger is the emotion that wells up in a mother bear to protect her cubs. Anger is that determination not to allow something valuable to be trampled on. But if we are honest, most of our anger quickly moves from good kind of anger to sinful kind of anger. Look at how Paul puts this in verse 26. Paul says, be angry. And do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. The emotion of anger is not bad. It's how you handle anger. And if we don't resolve the hurts in our life very quickly, then anger begins to fester and to grow. The comedian Lily Tomlin used to do a six-year-old character named Edith. And Edith would always sit in this big rocking chair and give advice. And once she described what anger is like, she says, anger is when your face gets like a fist, and then your heart gets like a bunch of bees, and then they fly up and sting your brain. (laughs) That's a pretty good description of anger, isn't it? It will drive the other person away. Anger says to the other person, I don't need you. I don't want you in my life right now. Anger. That's why Paul said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. There was one couple that decided that, you know what? We're going to apply this principle. We are not going to bed until all our issues are resolved. And so after their very first conflict, they stayed up for the next two weeks. (laughs) See, not all conflict can be resolved in an evening. But you need to make a resolution to get it resolved. You may say, honey, I know that we're not going to resolve all our issues tonight. But I want you to know that I love you and that I'm committed to you, and together we will resolve this issue together. And what does that do? That pours cold water over the fire of anger. But if anger is not cooled, it then moves to the fourth stage. Shot this down. I'm getting even. I'm getting even. You've hurt me, and I'm going to hurt you. You've heard the expression before? Hurt people will hurt people. Well, you've hurt me, and so I'm going to hurt you back. The Apostle Paul says that anger, when it's allowed to fester, will explode. Look how he writes this in verse 31. Paul says, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you along with all malice. First, you internalize anger, and it becomes bitterness, and you become resentful. And then you externalize your anger, and it becomes wrath, 
And then you verbalize your anger and it becomes shouting and slander. And, and you see that word malice? It just simply means that everything you do is now filtered through the grid of getting even. There's a book called Love and Respect written by um, Emerson Egerick. I mean, it's an incredible book for married couples. And basically what he says is that the deepest need that a woman has is to be loved and be secure in that love. And the deepest need that a man has is to, um, you know, to be respected. And what happens, though, is that we get in a marriage relationship into what's known as the crazy cycle. The crazy cycle happens whenever the husband says, I'm going to withhold my love from my wife. And then the wife responds by saying, well, I'm going to withhold my respect from the husband. And then the husband then withholds more of his love and withdraws even further away. And she begins to disrespect him even more. And next thing you know, the relationship just spirals right down into the ground. And that relationship becomes more isolated and more bitter. And it's like you have no more grace left for the other person. And everything that your spouse does just irritates you. And you get to the point where you can't even stand being with each other anymore. So how do you break that cycle? Well, we've seen the first part, the anatomy of a conflict. But now let's look at the second part of today's message. Jot this on your outline. Let's talk about the path of healing. What is the path of healing? How do you break that cycle? I mean, everything is pushing the relationship downward, right? And you need the grace of God to push it upward. So when your love tank is empty and you've got no more grace for your spouse, what do you do? You remind yourself of the grace that you have in Jesus Christ. Look at how the Apostle Paul puts this in verse 32. Paul says this, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, look at it, just as God also forgave you. That is the power. That is how you find the power to bring healing to your relationship. You've been forgiven, so you need to forgive. You've been shown grace whenever you didn't deserve it, so you need to ask God to fill you with his grace so that you can give it to your spouse. See, we are a fellowship of the forgiven. You were forgiven by God and shown grace, not because of anything you did. I mean, you didn't deserve anything of God's grace and love. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only way you're going to reverse the tide of hurt and anger is to remind yourself of the gospel. You're a sinner saved by the grace of God. So today, I want to give you nine words that will heal your marriage, nine words that will heal any relationship. And it's not, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. That's only six words. No, God can do incredible healing in your relationships, but you've got to be willing to have the heart and the willingness to say and then mean these nine words. And I want you to jot them down in your outline. The first word is a word of honesty. What is it? I was wrong. I was wrong. That's an attitude of honesty. Now, here's the truth. None of us like to admit that we're wrong, right? No one really likes to eat crow. We will often justify our actions or rationalize away our behavior. If she wouldn't have done that, or if he hadn't said that, things would be different. So we come to an impasse. Why? Because nobody wants to admit that they're wrong. So that's why the Apostle Paul said, you need to start being honest with each other. Look again how he puts this in verse 25. Paul says, put away lying and speak the truth, right? So we've got to start with what we know is true. 
And here's what I know is true. We are all sinners. (laughs) And because of that simple fact, your perceptions about your partner are distorted. Because we are sinners, we do not always see the facts clearly. And we lie to ourselves. We deceive ourselves. So, So I would like for us to make a truth confession today. In fact, what I'd like for you to do, I just want to say this out loud. And if you're at home with your spouse, I'd love for you to turn to your spouse and make this truth confession. Ready? Ready to make it? Here it is. I am a big sinner. <laughs> say it. I am a big sinner. I believe that many relationships could be healed if people would just be honest and admit their part in the wrong. But pride kicks in and says, I'm always the one giving in. I'm just fed up. I'm not going to give in anymore. Or, you know, we say, well, I'm not going to say that I'm wrong, even if we know that part of the whole situation, we are wrong. And so what do we do? We hit an impasse, and the hurt festers, and it becomes a cancer that kills a relationship. That is, again, why the Apostle Paul warns us in verse 26. What does he say? He says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Look at this. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't give him a foothold in your relationship. Some of you are letting the devil destroy your marriage. You've let so many nights pass on your hurts and your anger. When you allow a relationship to go unresolved, you have opened the door for Satan to attack you. And you know what you also do? You also block God's favor in your life and from that relationship. You don't believe me? Look at how Jesus puts this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Jesus says this, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. See what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying God doesn't accept your worship if you have an unreconciled relationship. Look at what the Apostle Peter says to husbands in 1 Peter um, chapter 3, verse 7. He says this, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. Why? So that your prayers will not be hindered. Do you hear that? God doesn't answer your prayers if you're treating your spouse badly. Broken relationships invite Satan in and push God out. And the longer you delay in reconciling, the harder your hearts become. It's like this. I have here some hard clay, and it's like a rock, okay? Actually, this is Play-Doh. But if you ever used Play-Doh before, you know that if you put this out in the sun, it will harden up just like a rock. For some of you, your spouse's heart has become hard. For some of you, your heart has become hard. You've done something to your spouse. You've said something. You've withdrawn. You've hurt them. Maybe you betrayed a trust. And you think, well, eventually, you know what? Over time, they'll get over it. You know, time will heal all wounds. And we're just going to sweep it under the rug. And eventually, they'll forget all about it. Well, it doesn't work that way. No. Over time, the heart becomes harder and harder and harder, just like this clay. And so what do you got to do? How are you going to soften up clay that's become hard? Well, you get some water, right? And you add some water to it. And that's how you make it soft again. And so what is it that's going to make a soft heart again in your relationship? Well, it's you being honest. It's you eating crow. It's you saying, I am wrong. Can we all admit that? That every one of us are sinners? 
we may say, well, well, she's done 90% of it. Well, you did 10% of it. Confess that 10%. Start there. Start with you. Acknowledge your sin. God has given you grace for your sin. I want you now to extend that grace back to your spouse and start the path back to healing and restoration. Speak honestly. I was wrong. That's the first three words. Now, let me give you the second three words. It's a confession of humility. Jot this on your outline. Humility is this. I am sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, now you may think, well, isn't that the same thing? I was wrong? No. Because some people will admit that they're wrong, but they're really not sorry about it. I mean, they don't really repent of it. They may say, okay, yeah, I was wrong, big deal, get over it, I was wrong. Get on with life. But, but when you say, I'm sorry, it implies there's grief, there's a desire to repent. That is what you did whenever you were reconciled with God through Jesus Christ, right? You cried out to God, I'm a sinner, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, Lord, I repent, please forgive me. If there was no heart of repentance whenever you came to Christ, then you're not a Christian, you're not saved. Look at how Jesus puts this. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, his first message, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. So if there's going to be reconciliation in a relationship, it always requires repentance. Well, let me give you two basic truths about what repentance looks like and what it is and isn't. What is real sorrow and repentance? I want you to jot this down. First of all, it is more than regret. It's more than regret. See, regret basically says, okay, yeah, I did it. So what? Okay, I did it. I got caught. I can remember counseling a guy in Texas who got caught in adultery. And he would say, yeah, I did it. I regret it. I did it. I mean, if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't do it. But you know what? The guy had no real brokenness. He basically just regretted getting caught. But true sorrow should lead to repentance. Look at how the Bible puts this in 2 Corinthians 7. The Bible says, for godly sorrow leads to repentance. So repentance is more than remorse. I feel bad. No, real sorrow leads to repentance, which then leads to a change. And that's the second truth about real sorrow and repentance. Jot this down. It leads to a change of your behavior. A change of your behavior. True sorrow and repentance always leads to some type of change. Change of what? Well, you got a change of heart, change of conduct, change of thinking. You see, the reason why we often never really change, we're like, I don't understand why I'm not changing. It's because we never really repent. Repent means that you change your thinking. And whenever you change your mind and your thinking, the way you see things, it will automatically lead to a change of your actions. Now, that doesn't mean that, okay, if I repent, I'm going to be this perfect person, perfect spouse. No, you're still a sinner. You're still going to blow it. But when your spouse sees you're really trying to make things right, and they no longer see an arrogant attitude of justifying your wrong, you know what's going to happen? This hard clay is going to add more water to it. And it's going to become more and more pliable. And the heart is going to become softer. Now, how do you break the destructive cycle of conflict? Nine words, right, from the heart. I was wrong. I am sorry. Now let's look at the final three words. They are words of harmony. Jot this down. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Can I tell you forgiveness is the key? And without forgiveness, there is no reconciliation. 
I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He said that forgiveness is the one word definition for Christianity. Well, just like hurt people will hurt people, well, forgiven people will be forgiving people. If you've been shown grace, then you need to extend grace as well. I mean, notice again, this is how this passage ends in verse 32. Paul writes, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Now you may say, Pastor Tony, you don't know how much this person has hurt me. And I'll say, it's true, I don't. But God does. And he's the one who's commanded you to forgive. Now, if there is abuse in your relationship, then you do need to remove yourself from the abuser. I mean, and you can't be reconciled with an abuser until there's been genuine repentance on their part. But even when you set those boundaries up, the only way to heal from the hurts that you've gone through is through forgiveness. Forgiveness really is the key to everything. In fact, let me show you several things about what forgiveness is and what it's not. First of all, jot this down. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not a feeling. You you see, you can't wait until you feel like forgiving to forgive. I mean, if you wait for a feeling, you're never going to get there. I mean, forgiveness isn't some warm and fuzzy feeling toward the other person. No, forgiveness is an act of the will. It's a volitional choice. Now, it's hard. It's a hard choice to make, especially if a person has hurt you deeply. But it is the most healing choice you can make. You may say, I can't do it. This is too painful. The wound is too deep and it's gone on for too long. I can't forgive. Listen to me. If Christ commands you to do something, you can forgive. You can. Then do it. If you're not forgiving somebody, it's because you are choosing not to forgive. So don't wait on your feelings. Choose to forgive and then the feelings will follow. But there's a second truth about forgiveness and it's this. Jot this down. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Unless God gives you a special measure of grace, you will still remember what the other person's done to you. But we still need to forgive. We need to forgive just the way that God forgives us. Now, the Bible says that God remembers our sins no more. Now, we may think, now, wait a minute. God is all-knowing. He, re- he remembers everything. How does God remember our sins no more? I'll tell you how. He chooses to no longer view us through our sin. It's sort of like this, this dirty pane of glass here. And I've got it marked up here, and that's the way, you know, our spouse hurts us, and what do we do? You know what? They've hurt us, and it gets all marked up, and all these offenses are there. And what we often do is we view our spouse through the grid of all that pain and all that hurt. And what we choose to do is to say, okay, I'm going to forgive them. And what does that mean? I'm going to choose to no longer view them through that hurt. That is how God forgives us, and that's how we are to forgive others as well. Forgiveness is choosing to no longer view our spouse through the hurt and pain. Now, I may never forget it, but I'm choosing to forgive. But there's a third truth about forgiveness, and it's very important. Jot this down. Forgiveness is letting go of your revenge. Forgiveness is letting go of the revenge. When you've been hurt, justice wells up within us, and we say, this is wrong, and, and you need to pay. And, and so what do we do? We'll, we'll freeze the person out, or we're going to yell at them, or we belittle them. And so we put on the God mask, and we play the judge and jury. I'm going to make you pay for hurting me. And if you live that way, 
you're going to become a bitter, miserable person. I saw a statistic recently from John Hopkins University that stated that 62% of all emotional problems that people have are from the result of, listen, unforgiveness. You think you're hurting the other person by not forgiving them? No, you're just hurting yourself. Christ has already carried that pain for you and their sins. You need to release that hurt to him. You need to release that desire for revenge to Christ. Look at how this is written in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. The Apostle Paul says this, Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. God's going to bring justice. You just need to trust him. Quit playing God and release the hurt and the other person to the Lord. That's what forgiveness is. I'm going to let go and I'm going to let God. There was a lady who was celebrating her 50th wedding anniversary. And her kids and grandkids gathered around her. And they asked her, Granny, how is it that you stayed married for 50 years to Grandpa? We know how bad he is. She said, well, on my wedding day, I decided that I would make a list of 10 of my husband's faults. And I would forgive him ahead of time for those things. And whenever my husband would do those things in the future, I would say, I forgave him of that when I married him. But I got so busy on my wedding day that I never got around to making my list of 10 faults. So every time for the last 50 years that my husband did something to me, I just simply said, that was on the list of the 10. You see, she had a happy marriage because she had learned to forgive and let things go. Do you know what the alternative is? Imagine it like this. Imagine we lived in a world where whenever you got injured, you never healed. I mean, if you got bruised, it would always be black and blue. If you cut yourself, it would always fester and lay open for the rest of your life. Imagine a world like that. Imagine where, you know what, if you broke a bone, it could never mend. It would just stay in a splint and be useless for the rest of your life. Can you imagine the lengths we would go to to avoid any kind of hurts if we lived in that kind of world? Well, that's not an imaginary world. That's the world you live in if you lack the grace of God to forgive and heal relationships. God tells you to be humble, be truthful, and be willing to forgive. There are nine words that will heal any relationship. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Those are the words that will heal. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and apart. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. 
Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.